I'm Amber. And I'm Leslie. And you're listening to The The Grim Grim Mystics. guys here we are hopefully hopefully we sound good we're not in person so (laughs) it should sound normal (laughs) right it should sound like what it normally does yeah and i can see amber and amber can see me yeah and here we are yeah um we were gonna try in person however the equipment that my husband so nicely ordered for us was supposed to arrive at some point today and got delayed until Monday. So the universe is really put, you know, just playing some games. They're just making sure that we're extra safe, <laughs> that we're extra healthy before it puts us, you know, together. There you go. Which I did want to say, Some I'm sure some people didn't listen to that 20-minute episode last week. <laughs> so... A big shout out, which is fine, but a big shout out to Craig. Craig, um, Amber's husband, was super generous. And today's video is sponsored by Craig. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he bought us some equipment moving forward so we can be able to record in person. So a big shout out to Craigathy. Yes, thank you, dear. We super appreciate it. And we will appreciate it more when it actually arrives and Amazon stops messing around. <laughs> Fracking Amazon serious okay so before we get going amber and you know we were transparent we already have recorded this so we kind of have an idea but nothing is staged nothing like that but i i'm gonna repeat the story for amber but for our listeners i found out after doing my research on our good friend ad course that the bridge the turkey creek bridge where he was murdered is like haunted supposedly So it's like another layer of excitement. Well, and I just feel like I totally missed that opportunity (laughs) to talk about that in my episode. But nothing came up until I was searching for photos. Mm. That was the only time that I saw anything about the bridge being haunted. That's so random, too, because you think that would be like... The first thing when I search his name. Yeah, like (laughs) huge. Right. So anyway, so we're going to take a little field trip, Amber, you and me down to Morrison. And we're going to use my spirit box. Oh, God. <laughs> I still promise it's not a Ouija board. And we will <laughs> we'll try to communicate to Ad. <laughs> I am totally down with that. That sounds like a great time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think it's so weird that of all the paranormal interest and true crime interest and all of that, that that wasn't more prominent even in your research just in general. I know. Like, we all know that the algorithm exists, right? So, <laughs> like, they know that I'm a freaking weirdo. So I'm surprised they didn't, like, my FBI boyfriend, hello, <laughs> he totally skipped out on his duties. He dropped the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so Leslie and I will take a field trip and someday we'll talk about it and see how yeah. exciting that is. <laughs> and we'll scare everybody's pants off. There we go. And my my own, because I still am a big baby about that stuff but i will i'm willing to go (laughs) i got you you'll be safe with me (laughs) there we go just call me the demon whisperer (laughs) your mom is not gonna love that 
No, I know. She's not going to love that at all. She's going to be so mad. <laughs> it's all right. We're hey. fine. <laughs> all right, Leslie, why don't you tell the good people where we're going? I will tell the good people. And I'm not going to talk like this the whole episode, but I really thought about your clue. And all that I got was that I can speak in an English accent. That's, all, that's the only clue I got. <laughs> So today on the map, we're going to Newcastle. We are, which is not the Newcastle that Harold and Kumar tried to go to. It is actually one in <laughs> England. <laughs> Isn't there like a fast food called Newcastle? Yeah. That, so, Or is it White Castle? Uh, oh, is it White Castle? See, that's where my Harold and Kumar joke was because they tried. <sighs> so the movie was they got super stoned and wanted to go to... I'm thinking it's White Castle now that you say that and <laughs> not Newcastle. <laughs> I've never seen Harold and Kumar. So they get super stoned and they try to go to White Castle. Yeah, it's White Castle. So my bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then they go on this. It's kind of like a very like dude, where's my car esque where like it's just so. Oh, classic. Freaking wonky. And like they go through and you like yeah. see it through like them and they're kind of like tripping and stuff. It's. It's a, a movie for the whole family, really. <laughs> so you're saying that I should invite my mom over. Yes. And my nephews and niece, my yes. babies. Mm-hmm, your babies. And we'll, we'll watch yeah. it. Okay. I mean, the babies might not know what's going on, but your mom will be really annoyed. <laughs> Mortified. <laughs> but yes, we are going to Newcastle. And I thought I would give a shout out to Wendy. Her picture that she posted is freaking awesome of like her train of thought. Oh, I know. Like, I I love that too, because we got to see where her brain was like bouncing around in. So Wendy found a movie called Mikey that was released in 1992, I believe. It's a real deep dive. Um, Craig and I actually watched it um, before we were we recorded. And it's about this little boy. And I'm sorry, there are spoilers ahead. It released in 92. If you were planning on watching it, skip ahead. <laughs> Amber, how dare you re- How dare you spoil a movie that was created before my existence? Jeez. <laughs> but <laughs> what the movie is, is um, it's this little boy who is in the process of getting adopted. And his family is still in that like trial period where he's living with them. Um, and he's got a mom, uh, uh, I guess it'd be foster, but they were talking about adoption in the movie. So it's a foster mother, father and sister who's younger than him. And the foster mother says something like he breaks something or does something bad. I can't really remember. And his foster mother says like, when your dad comes home, we'll need to talk about this. And he came from an abusive family before. So I'm sure there are certain things that this movie's trying to lead you to believe are his triggers. Mm, I see. So his mom goes up to take a bath after she says that. He steals his little sister's doll and throws it into the pool. And then she goes in to grab it and he pushes her in. So she drowns. Oh, my God. While she's drowning, he goes to see the foster mother and she's in the bathtub and he turns on her hairdryer and drops it into the bathtub while it's still on. While it's on. And I'm sorry, remind me, how old is Mikey? Oh, he's like... 11 something really young 11 10 Mm, okay and then 
his foster dad comes home and he sets up this trap where he puts um, marbles on the floor, stands at a a perfect spot in the house so that when his dad walks over to talk to him, he can turn towards outside and his foster father sees his child face down in the pool, runs over to go help her, doesn't see the marbles and breaks the sliding glass door. So like falls through it. Oh my gosh. And then Mikey beats him to death with an aluminum baseball bat. Uh Yeah. So that's how the movie starts. <laughs> oh, so that's like all in like the first 10 minutes? Less, like seven, like five, seven. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's very aggressive. <laughs> very. So then. Welcome to the 90s, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we had to get to the point quick <laughs> before the VHS tape started to screw up. <laughs> um, they didn't want to be like Titanic and have no, the double. with the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't want to be like that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> So then the story continues on and there's a new um, fostering situation where a man and a woman start to foster him because Mikey hides when the police come to his old house. He hides and acts like someone broke into the house and did this. And, you know, the police are like, you're 11. So, okay. Okay, so the police think that like it was like a burglary gone wrong. Yes. And they couldn't find the guy quotes who did it. Okay. And Mikey played it off really well. And the whole time my husband is giving like beautiful commentary. <laughs> like he's like, fuck this kid. Like he's just like going off. So he ends up with this family. And of course the same thing happens. They, he gets, starts getting in trouble. They start, you know, having to like reprimand him and he gets mad. So he, there are four people, five people that die. He becomes infatuated with the neighbor girl who is a teenager. She's like... In her late teens in high school. Ew. Yeah, he becomes infatuated with her. So he drops a boombox in the hot tub on her boyfriend. Oh. Because he doesn't want her to date anybody. Mr. Steal Your Girl. Jeez. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then the foster mother is uncomfortable about something around him. See, I can't even remember all of it, so I'm not really giving it all away. You'll still have oh, to okay. watch it. Okay, yeah. But... His foster mother is like uncomfortable around him and they're having a conversation and he ends up wrestling with her and she gets a a shard of glass stuck in her throat. Oh. And then his teacher, who is his foster mother's best friend and his principal come over and he shoots the principal in the heart with an uh, with an archery like arrow. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the dad, the foster dad, taught him how to do archery. So like, oh. it's all, you know, it comes around. And he's kicking himself, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> and I can't remember how the teacher passes. It's something like with like marbles or something again. And then he sets everybody up at the table and waits for the foster father to come home. Ooh. And he turns on the gas and lights a match. And he gets a skeleton from his science class because the principal, like, foreshadowing said, like, the skeleton was uh, donated to them and it was a boy about his age. Oh, how convenient. Right? So when the police... Also, I was like, I don't think that they, they donate uh, teen preteen uh, skeletons. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know if they would know about that. I don't either. I know I told Craig that's my uh, end of life goal is donate everything (laughs) and then find a way for me to be like a skeleton in like a really smart people area like Harvard or something and I'll just hang there watching. (laughs) All right. I'll get tuition for free. I'll I'll make sure that that if if you go before me, I'll make sure that Craig follows through with that. 
Mm -hmm. help Craig figure out how to do that like everything just needs to be donated there's no reason for me to have something in the ground or in an urn just donate it all okay (laughs) we will do that (laughs) Uh, thank you and thank you for being part of it (laughs) yeah of course I feel honored you welcomed me in on this (laughs) and all of our listeners will hold you both accountable (laughs) exactly so he um he pretty much stages his death. The police come, the house explodes, and they're like, and the neighbor girl that he was like torturing was like, is he in there? Are you sure? Are you sure? And the police were like, yes, we found re- remains of a little boy. And then you jump to another town and they're talking about this little boy that was found on the highway that they picked up and he had amnesia. He didn't know who he was or where he was. And this other couple wants to work on adopting him. And then the movie ends. Yeah. Such a cliffhanger. Yeah. And these guys were good. They did not make one of those stupid sequels that the 90s are known for. (laughs) Also, I just have a quick question. Yes. So I know that all the bodies were charred, but like um, this might be a little morbid. So the bodies starting off had skin Mm -hmm. and the skeleton did not. So wouldn't there be like a difference between? You would think. Couldn't you be like, oh, yeah, th- like the six, six out of seven bodies for sure had skin on before this fire. <laughs> you know, I thought the same thing. That's so funny that you. Oh, OK, that good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, I'm not an expert on like fires caused by explosions and gas. Leaks, yeah, no, me either. But I would assume like eventually you could see the differences in the bodies. And you're right. I, I mean, and who's to say even the bones would survive because the other bodies might have had bones because it burned through everything else so if there was nothing protecting the bones wouldn't the bones just burn up yeah and wouldn't there be like clothing fabric or they could tell that he did put clothes he did put clothing on the skeleton he was smart enough there so the cops would be like (laughs) so six out of the seven had skin and they were wearing clothes and then this dude was just like naked (laughs) in the corner with bones i I don't know he was very thin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> practically bones had that 90s model look <laughs> what was her name that model twiggy twiggy <laughs> she wasn't 90s she was 70s and 80s but still <laughs> well, i mean twiggy was skinny but was i i don't know anyway we're talking about america's top model at this point i don't know anyway move it on yeah <laughs> maybe it so, was was it janice she was like creepy skinny janice was no so janice no twiggy was the creepy skinny one because twiggy is the reason that models kind of strive to be skinny she was the first like underweight model so she came after the marilyn monroe era so she Mm, kind of brought in the popularity of skinny janice is like the kind of crazy one who was the first crazy one i think no (laughs) yeah like she was the one with the long (laughs) the first crazy one (laughs) She was the one with the long black hair and like fake boobs and big lips. And she just like went mental every once in a while and like screamed at someone. Yeah, I remember her being not very nice. Yeah. Um, But anyway, back to... (laughs) Yeah, back to Mikey. Sorry. I I swear we're going to be known as the Ramblers and we're just going to... Oh, that's fine. Get there eventually. Right. (laughs) We will get to the point. We're just going to hit every side on the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like Route 66. We're just exactly. hitting all the, the fun things to look at. Exactly. So with Mikey, everyone, 
and I feel bad because I think my clue was vague, but also I was happy that it was vague because it got a lot of good like ideas yeah. out of everybody. So I think I made it assumed that they were connected in some way. And so for that, I apologize. That did kind of throw it off a little bit. But all I really was hoping for is people would see the movie Mikey and see the age and then know who to, how to search for Mary because Mary's a common name in America. I'm sure it's pretty common in England. I'm pretty sure it's common you know, all over the English speaking mm-hmm. world. But Mikey was a, like 11, 10 or 11. Mary, this Mary that we'll be speaking of in England, was also 10 and 11 Okay, when her situation happened. So my goal was more to correlate what age you needed to look for with this clue. I see. All right. So Mary Bell is her name, and she was born in Scottswood, which is a district in Newcastle. Um, this district was considered a slum and was actually nicknamed Rat Alley. <laughs> Such a l- lovely name. People live there. Like, it's very unfortunate that people, you know, just kind of ignored the feelings of the people that live there that probably didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Scottswood had a lot of rundown buildings and pubs. So those were kind of the two main attractions. Um, Getting wasted and... yeah. yeah. Getting wasted and knocking over buildings. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good time. Uh, Children were left to play alone while parents um, worked or drank all day. Um, It kind of was a toss up on what type of parent would be there. Did they work at the bars or were there like places to work around? I think there were places to work around. So there were like laundromats. Like it was still a normal district where people could go to the store and stuff. It was just very run down. Um, I see. Okay. Yeah. And like it wasn't a place that people were like. Let's go. Yeah. Like let's move there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I imagine it to be like the equivalent of our Colfax. (laughs) Like, yeah, sure. It's okay to drive through, but lock the doors, roll up the windows and don't go after dark. Okay. Okay. That's a good comparison. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And then I just offended anyone that lived near the Colfax area. I apologize. <laughs> hey, I think even if you did live on that street, you would also be like, oh, yeah, okay. Mm, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so the children played in the streets, in the rundown buildings, or on the construction sites. All safe. Where you would drop your kid off, right? Yeah, That's, right. That sounds like daycare to me. <laughs> <laughs> this brick is going to watch them for the next three hours. <laughs> Might as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, and what's going on in this town too is, so I said construction sites. So they're working on tearing down the dilapidated building. So like the city is slowly trying to tear down things that aren't livable and find a way to kind of build them up. So. Okay. That's good. It's, uh, it's like almost an in progress to be nicer, but it's a very slow moving train. Like it is not going quickly at all like it's yeah um everyone in the neighborhood was struggling um like i said so it was really more like the neighborhood is raising the children so while mom is at work and you've got kids running around in the street if there was a neighbor that was home she would not hesitate to tell them to knock it off make sure that they're still being somewhat safe i see so it wasn't like you know Lord of the Flies, where the kids are running around. Fend for yourselves, yeah. Yeah, exactly, where the kids are running around crazy. It's just kind of like they were more raised in a community, but sometimes that community wasn't the best to be a part of. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Mary was born um, to her mom, Betty, 
when Betty was 17. So a child having a baby. Yeah. And Betty was described as erratic, depressed, and an addict. So not really the best person to be born to in general. Also because she's a child, so she probably is depressed because she's learning how to raise a human. Yeah, and at 17, I don't know anyone who wasn't erratic in some way, shape, or form. Right. Betty made it very clear to Mary and to her family that she was not happy to be a mother. Multiple times, Betty's family discovered that she was trying to pawn her off on other people. Um, She would try to set up times to give Mary away to people that her family didn't know, and they weren't sure how well Betty knew these people. And there was one time where Betty's sister actually followed her because Betty was going to give Mary away to some random woman that she didn't really know. And Betty's sister stopped her and said, I will take her. And it's almost like this weird contrast where her pride like wouldn't let her give Mary to a family member that would take better because that in her mind was unfit mother. But giving her away to someone where she might never have to see her again was better. See, like... Up until that point, I actually kind of felt bad for Betty because I, I was like, this is a huge life transition. And so then someone that would love her and Mary, you know, was willing to do it. Who knows what, it, I mean, I know how the story ends now, but like who knows what would have happened to Mary if like someone else had gotten her. She could have, you know, been murdered yeah. as an infant or whatever. But yeah, all sense of empathy that I had for Betty just like flew out my window. <laughs> yeah, uh Betty's not like winning any number one mom awards, even no. the ones that preschools have their kids make. Like, she's, <laughs> I don't even think Mary would give her one of those if the preschooler teachers made one for her. No, she would give it to the brick that's watching her every day. <laughs> she just puts a little trophy on a brick. <laughs> Show and tell. She's like, this is my babysitter, B. I call her B. <laughs> She's a feisty redhead. (laughs) Red face, red everything. (laughs) So, yeah, so it was a weird pride thing um, where Betty wouldn't let her family take care of her because then she'd have to admit that she wasn't a fit mother. So as Mary grew older, she learned that her mom was a sex worker. And there were a lot of rumors that were brought up in a documentary that I watched. Um, I couldn't find the credentials for the documentary because I found it on a super secret sneaky site that posts them probably not to the documentary and the people who worked on its liking. Um, And what they did, I think, so that they wouldn't get in trouble is they took out the opening and the ending credits. So I don't know where this documentary came from. Oh, on like YouTube? Well, it was a website. It's like a documentary website that kind of airs all of these. Okay. So it is from the BBC, but I don't know the name of the documentary, anything. They kind of just cut it all out. So in this documentary, they interviewed teachers, neighbors, schoolmates, everybody. And there are a bunch of rumors that were going around about Betty. Some of the rumors were worse than others. Of course. That's how they always are. Mm -hmm. So it was discussed that people thought Betty was drugging Mary from a very young age, from like pretty much birth to 11 um, when she was still in her custody. 
So they were some there were some reasons why people thought this was happening and I couldn't find anything of Betty admitting it. I couldn't find Mary admitting it. But the three things that theories are um, she wanted privacy when she brought John's home because they lived in a one bedroom apartment. So like a flat. So there weren't even rooms. It was just kind of like a flat with a kitchen and a bedroom all attached and bathroom. And not a lot of space to hide a baby while you're. No, a baby, a toddler, anything. Yeah. So it was believed that she wanted to have some privacy when she had her clients over. It was also believed that she was actually trying to force Mary to overdose. So she was giving her pills, but she was also an addict. So she's not going to give away her whole supply. So they think it was... Yeah, that's a good point. It was failed attempts at causing an overdose. Okay. And the last one is icky. So trigger warning... Trigger warning for everything, but like starting now. <laughs> um, they thought that Betty was giving Mary pills so that Johns could take advantage of Mary while she was passed out. I hate that one. Yeah. I hate that. That's an icky one. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the icky, icky one. And honestly, all three could be happening. Right. It could be a combination. That's true. Yeah. All three of these things could be happening. I mean, I hate all three, but like, yeah, part of me for Mary's sake hopes that it was just like a babysitter type thing. Like Mm -hmm. she, you know, Betty gave her the drugs to keep her asleep, keep her quiet, whatever it was so that she didn't have to take care of her. Exactly. But they're all terrible. All three. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't, it doesn't help your brain at all if you're constantly being put to sleep. Um. So well, and drug. I'm sorry. Um, you know, like that type of drug abuse is hard on your brain. Mm -hmm. And while you're an infant and a child, your brain is still developing. Yeah. So that has to have. If that were the case, I would assume that Mary had lifelong issues. Yeah. Cognitively or brain function wise, whatever, because of the amount of drugs that she was given yeah i mean i didn't find a lot about that afterwards like it's kind of like we continue with the story and then it kind of goes dark um for a while so Mm. but i mean i i definitely could agree that she was emotionally mentally stunted um if this was happening including from when she was like little little like right newborn I mean, you're not even supposed to take your newborn to the grocery store in fear of like viruses. I can't understand. I can't even imagine what would happen to like sleep medication for babies. Like, no way. It's scary. I just hope they're all rumors and not true. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. Betty didn't know who Mary's father was. Um, She had been a sex worker before Mary was born. So she had a lot of Johns in Mary's life, but she also had an on again, off again boyfriend named Billy. And Billy seemed, based on the documentary and what I found with research, like he was, he cared about her. It seemed that he wasn't abusing her, minimum. But unfortunately, the stability that Mary probably needed wasn't found in Billy because he was a petty criminal and he was an alcoholic. So um, with that, he would go in and out of jail constantly and he was never like a constant person in her life, unfortunately. What a mess. Yeah. So she was, I mean, so this is nature versus nurture, right? Had Mary been set up in a different lifestyle, would she have still done eventually what you'll learn, <laughs> what she did? Yeah. Or 
was she bad? Like this is kind of, I think this is the question that will continue the entire time. Okay. That during this case, I think the police thought about it. I mean, I thought about it. You know, anyone who thinks of this case is pretty much wondering if Mary had been given a better home life, what would happen? Okay. Um, I mean, it reminds me of like our conversation with Joseph Corbett Jr., the guy who murdered Ad. Mm-hmm. You know, like we could talk about that for like any murderer. Like if, oh, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, <laughs> Mary is a murderer. Um, See, that's what happens when we have to re-record. <laughs> <laughs> we just go into these conversations. Yeah. But, you know, we could talk about that all day long if they had different childhoods. But like a lot of people have childhoods that don't end up murdering. So, you know, I don't know. I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I still have yet to decide my opinion on well, this. Well, so in our last recording <laughs> where we tried, <laughs> we had a whole conversation. So we'll have that again. And now we both have yes. had some time to kind of think and ponder a little bit more Yep. on what we feel. Mary was 11 in 1968, and she got a reputation on the playground for being the bully. Students avoided Mary often, and she was usually left alone. And she was described as this very, like, beautiful girl, like, uh, you know, kind of like a bob. And they called it fringe because it's, you know, the UK. The fringe. Yeah. (laughs) The fringe and the bob. (laughs) Um, And she had, like, darker hair, but she had, everyone pointed out she had these beautiful blue eyes that would just, like, they were so vibrant in contrast to her black hair. And students that were interviewed for the documentary that went to school with her said, like, she'd be fine one minute and then something would snap and her eyes would change. You could see her eyes changing. She'd tar- she'd hone in and focus on someone and that person would be the- her target. That's terrifying. Right? They'd be playing, having a great time, and then switch flips and she picks someone and she like is a little terror and a little torture to them for the rest of their recess hour well no it's crazy these are i mean they were adults when interviewed but these were children who saw this behavior can you imagine how scary that would be yeah to just you're playing you know kickball with someone and all of a sudden you see someone give you these like murder eyes you know well like a full change like someone who's got two i imagine someone who's got like two personalities just having this veil like drop oh that's so weird Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i mean terrifying and kids left her alone because they were scared i'm sure well that and they never knew if they were gonna be next you know they they never knew Right. Or like what mood they were going to get, what kind, what Mary they were getting. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So she was left alone until she met Norma. Norma Bell, no relation, lived two houses down and she was 13 years old. So she was a little bit older. Okay. Now in the documentary, she's described as a little unintelligent for her age, not necessarily like mentally handicapped or anything. She just was not at her age level. A little delayed. A little delayed, but not in, not anything where she was like considered like mentally handicapped though. It was just mm-hmm. she was a little slower with learning and she through this documentary they call her dim and unintelligent and all of this stuff. So just kind of weird to describe a small child as right? unintelligent. Like as an adult just seems weird, but Yeah. And well and I think with this too like it's kind of painting this picture where 
Mary is going to be looked at as a leader. Mm -hmm. You know, you have this like overwhelming personality kind of, you know, jumping off the page and she's very smart and she's complimented on that by teachers and students who were scared of her knew how smart she was. And then you have this girl who's pretty much called dumb in nicer. I guess nicer. Yeah. More accented ways. Like, yeah, they beat around the bush. And then they're kind of painting this picture of where Mary finally found her follower, someone who was just kind of happy to be around her. And I mean, clearly didn't get scared of when her personality shifted or maybe it never was directed at Norma. That's what I was just thinking. Maybe she like oh, really? was smarter than we think she was. And she was like, this bitch is crazy. But if I'm like friends with her, she's not going to attack me. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So the the kids that you worry about at school that you still are like polite to and smile in the yeah. hallway just in case. Yes. Yeah. Always be kind because you just never know. You just never know. <laughs> Every school has a couple of those kids that you just try to really avoid. And then if you can't avoid, be very nice to to avoid any hard situations. So on May 11th, 1968, Mary and Norma found a younger boy and they offered to take him to the candy store. They said that they were going to go buy him some sweets. So that's kind of how they were able to lure him to go with them. The old classic. The old classic. Yeah. They just didn't have a white van. They just offered candy. (laughs) (laughs) They were too young to drive. (laughs) Shouldn't be laughing at that. But if anybody offers you candy, regardless of age, just be like, "Mm, nah. (laughs) I mean, candy, maybe not. But if they offered me like, I don't know. A puppy, I'd be Honestly, if they were like, hey, there's this really comfortable mattress in the back that'll really help (laughs) your back and your knees not hurt. You won't have your two dogs and your husband in the bed with you. Like, You can just take a little nap. Yeah, a little cat nap. I'll drive you around. I'll put on some soothing music. Like, I'd consider it. (laughs) You'd be like, "Um, I should say no, but man, my back hurts so bad. (laughs) Seriously, like, that's what I'm imagining. That would be the main thing that I would say yes to. (laughs) Amber, just say no. (laughs) If we if we have any creepers listening, don't don't try it. (laughs) Amber knows better now. (laughs) I won't come with you if there's a white van. That is the universal. But if you have a bed in the back of a black van, I might I might forget. Oh, that's even worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's an FBI van for all I know, and they're they know I'm tired because they're eavesdropping. That's true. And my FBI guy, we're friends, so I would hope yeah. that he would help, you know, do me a solid. <laughs> just drive around back. <laughs> you know, just, you don't have to go very far. Just do a couple loops around the neighborhood till I'm asleep and then just leave the air conditioning running and you can leave it in the driveway. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's like a baby. It's like what you do with a baby. That's yeah. <laughs> all I need. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back to May 11th. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's, it's a good tangent. I love it. Um, later in the evening, the boy was found wandering around and he was dazed and bleeding from the head. The police were called because clearly a young boy walking around with blood from his head isn't common. Even in Rat Alley, it wasn't common. It's suspicious. It was a little suspicious. Yeah. The police were called, but the little boy could not remember who did, who he went off with or what happened. So the way that we know that Mary and Norma took him is because bystanders said that they did. Thank goodness for that. Well, and there are rumors of how this kid, because he kind of was acting concussed. So there was one rumor that I found where they thought that Mary and Norma dropped him off of one of the 
partial con- construction teardown buildings to see what would happen. And I, th- I couldn't find any proof of that. Mary never like admitted to it or anything like that. But that was the rumor was that they were dropping him from a high height to see what would happen. And I mean, if that happened, clearly it wasn't high enough, luckily, to do any damage um, that I could find. <laughs> just like the idea of like, just just to see what would happen. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you look at, like, some more famous serial killers, like, the just to see what happened is usually to animals. Yeah. It's, like, the first step. Yeah. But Mary never had the animal step. She just went straight to to humans. That's creepy. Right? Yeah. So, the next day, May 12th, 1968, the police were called, and a mother was reporting that her child, Pauline, was strangled by Mary and Norma, or I'm sorry, she was strangled by Mary while Norma held her down. So in the documentary, Pauline is a part of it. So she's interviewed and Pauline recalled that Norma was holding her down. So kind of almost like laying across her so she couldn't get up. Okay. And Mary was holding her throat with one hand and with the other hand, grabbing handfuls of sand and shoving it in her throat. Ugh. And she also remembered Mary's two fingers going all the way to the back. So almost like she was forcing her esophagus to open and, and swallow the sand. Because, you know, I, I heard from one of my sister-in-laws, um, you know, she had to go through CPR training and all that stuff um, when she had her baby. And which everyone should, not saying had yeah. to, like it's a bad thing. She did go through. And... If you can get food out, right? If you can get food out, it's you're not choking because um, it's not in your esophagus. Is that right? Am I remembering that? Yes. Yes. So what this tells me is Mary, whether she knew it or not, was trying to force things to go down to the esophagus so that she was, could choke and not get the sand out pretty much. You know, I'm wondering because she was described as like so smart if she actually did know that. Like if she had read that somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm a nor- I am was a normal 11-year-old. I didn't <laughs> try to find out ways to kill people. Yeah, no, I was too busy. I don't know what I was doing at 11, but I was with you. What were we doing? <laughs> Walking around, <laughs> hanging out on scooters. <laughs> um, 11 mm-hmm. at our scooters i remember scooters um 11 at our school oh you remember we were rocking crocs because those were popular then like they are now for the youth i still wear crocs i i've transitioned away if you ain't crocking you ain't rocking i definitely was rocking i'm not rocking the crockins um oh man you gotta rock them Yeah, I think I just remember all of us standing in a group over by the track because I don't think we were allowed on the track, but we got as close as we possibly could. And (laughs) that's where the cool kids hung out, huh? Right. And I remember watching like people playing football. That's all I remember. Okay. A lot of watching. All right. (laughs) Not much has changed. (laughs) I still just stand in the corner. (laughs) Yeah. We stood in the corner and people watched. That's exactly what that describes. <laughs> and again, nothing has changed. So yeah, pretty Glad much. Glad to see we structure. Yeah, it's just the two of us hanging out, judging others. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Norma noticed that Mary was shoving sand in her throat, and that kind of freaked her out. Pauline remembers Norma loosened her like hold on her, 
And Pauline was actually able to wiggle out of Norma's grip and, and run away. Wow. And then she ran home, told her mom that Mary had been choking her at the playground. The police were called, but Pauline does remember not telling them about the sand. So she said, Mary was choking me, which is still bad. A child putting uh, their hands on another living human being and squeezing their throat is not a good sign. While they're sitting on top of you. Yeah. So the police dropped the ball and they just kind of let it go. They were like, well, it's just kids being kids. Like they really had no... I think that they just didn't know how to handle yeah. a violent act from a child. Or they just, she's a girl, she's a, ki- she's a kid, a child. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Like that type of thing. And I remember when we recorded last time, we got into a pretty uh, heated discussion <laughs> about law enforcement and yes. why we're in the situation we are in now. Yes. And it's because of situations like that where... The ball was dropped. Things weren't followed through. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, if they had maybe stepped in and done something about this, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yep. You know, but it's also hard to play those ma- those what if games. But yeah, still frustrating. No, I agree. Well, and this is a neighborhood where it's a high crime area, so people already don't trust the police because these same police officers might have been there last week taking someone's dad away right kids you know kids don't know and to them they're they're the bad guys no matter what their parent did yeah and they most likely don't even know what their parent did right right yeah we we'd hope so even with pauline you know she says she told the police that they choked her like it's it's interesting to see a sign of her like withholding information she doesn't want to tell the whole story because she's scared of mary she doesn't want it to get back to her because clearly she knew nothing was going to happen but also like avoiding telling the police the entire story like it it wasn't in the documentary or any any of the research i find or i found but i find i find (laughs) i find nothing (laughs) (laughs) but it wasn't in any of the research Uh, but i can assume that in a high crime area like police are not welcome right and even if they're there to help they're not welcome and it's not it's not pauline's fault for Mm-mm. withholding the whole truth because she was scared but it's also like it's like a double-edged sword what are the cops going to do if they don't get the whole story right. but they still drop the ball with someone putting their hands on pauline that was still dropped right it's like a lose-lose situation yeah and i mean i don't know like if someone came to me and was like this kid's choking this other kid, I would be like, what? Right. <laughs> like, they... Where? <laughs> yeah. Like, there have been more child murderers since this time, but this, I mean, you have to assume in this small district that this had to have been the first time that they had a violent kid. It's also so f- crazy when a kid mm-hmm. does something like that. Yeah. That's, like, a whole other level of... Like, mm-hmm. it's one thing for grown people to do it, but a kid... Yeah. That's like, ugh. Yeah. So balls are flying everywhere and getting dropped everywhere <laughs> is like, because I mean, they don't know how to handle a violent yeah. kid. And I don't know if I would know how to handle a violent kid. Of course. Like. I wouldn't. No. Like, you know, teachers have to learn how to deal with violent kids now more than they ever had to before, which is all probably very good for training and good for spotting these red flags. 
But I mean, I'm sure if the training were what it is now back then, yeah, it'd be red flags all over the place because this is a bad part of town. Yeah. So, so the police don't do anything. They kind of just chalk it up to kids being kids. And then it's a little quiet for a couple of weeks until May 25th, 1968. We meet Martin Brown, who is a four-year-old boy with blonde, curly hair, blue eyes. And his, his mom was interviewed for the documentary and she said he was very mischievous. So he had, she said he had the face of an angel, but he was a mischievous little devil is how she described him. <laughs> So he had these like contrasts already showing in as a four-year-old. And it's, I mean, he was a four-year-old boy. It's not anything bad. He was just, you know. He was a little boy. Yeah, he was a little boy. Getting into stuff. Who was playing around, exactly. So he's playing in one of the half-demolished buildings. So he's playing with his friends. Um, Friends are coming and going. And about 5 p.m., Martin's not home. But this wasn't something that concerned his parents. His parents, at four years old, this boy did not have a curfew. It was kind of, again, one of those things where the the neighborhood raised you. So she assumed he was at a friend's house or they were still playing. Like there were no no rules. I still cannot get over that. Oh my God, no. Even in the week from when I first heard this, mm-hmm. I can, all I can picture are the four-year-olds in my life. Yeah wandering around and it just blows my mind but yeah we said this like 97 times last week it was a different time Mm -hmm. so and that's a good thing to remember through this entire thing it was a different time and also it was it was low income so i mean it's not like martin's mom could have someone watching him right 24 7 so he kind of just did his thing so um 5 p.m they're not concerned that he's not there but That evening, Martin's mom, June, remembered getting a call from a neighbor telling her that Martin was hurt and told her he was hurt at one of these um, half-destroyed buildings. So she runs over there, hauls ass, and there is a construction worker carrying Martin's body out. And she said she remembers it looked lifeless and gray. And she had asked the construction worker if he was okay, and the construction worker said he didn't know. Um, paramedics had been called and they grabbed up Martin, took him straight to the hospital. And unfortunately he was announced dead on arrival. That's terrible. Yeah. That's just terrible. Uh-huh. Police, uh, were called as well. Cause I mean, it was a boy who passed. A four-year-old. Yeah. A four-year-old. And they started an investigation. Um, now on the, in the building that he was playing in, they found his body near uh, an empty pill bottle and at the top of the stairs. Martin's mom, June, remembered that he had fallen down the stairs once and he was actually very scared of going downstairs alone. Okay. Um, that was something that he didn't like to do. He needed someone there to kind of support him. So during the investigation, the pathologist doesn't see any signs of foul play. So no markings, nothing. So the pathologist concludes that after hearing about his um, scare with the stairs, he died of fright. So he was falling and it's the adrenaline kicked in and it scared him so much that he actually died. Now, again, we just talked about different time. Yeah. Now it would not be okay <laughs> to say someone died of fright. But in the 60s. It was fine. That was actually, um, it, it, well, and it was a, a common way for pathologists who didn't have the technology that we have today to kind of write off deaths because everyone wants an answer amber if i die can you make sure that they put on my death certificate that i died afraid yes 
I will okay. scare the ever-loving bejesus out of you. <laughs> regardless, well, just regardless of my cause, I yes. want it to say fright. Got okay? it. So you'll make me the skeleton, okay. and I'll make sure yeah. that you sound like some, you know, mystical badass that died of being scared. <laughs> I died of fright. Died of fright. <laughs> Cheerio. Sounds like such a British thing to say. Right? This chap died of fright. I know. Yeah. yeah. So everything I'm saying, I'm saying, imagine in it like a British accent as well, because that makes it so much better. I just really suck at accents, so that's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> On that documentary, did it like lessen the blow of the content? Kind of. Because they talked like this and they sounded so happy. Well, and they said words that I didn't know. So I would have to pause it and like Google like slang. Like the lingo. Yeah. yeah. And be like, what the fuck does that like? <laughs> like, I didn't know what fringe was. I was like, fringe? What is that? Oh, you missed out on the fringe. Yeah. And I, it's bangs for anyone else yeah. who didn't know. I, I mean, I don't. I can barely keep up with the lingo that the youths are saying in America. I'm not going to try to keep up with the lingo from the 60s in Europe. <laughs> I just like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using it. We should Google some fun British slang. And just start saying it. Mm-hmm. I did like that she called her son mischievous because you don't hear that word very often. Mischievous. And I think she called him cheeky. And I was like, oh, Aww. that's cute. I like cheeky. I could get down with cheeky. Amber, you're such a cheeky little one. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So on May 27th, so we went from the 25th to the 27th. So we're moving nice and slow. 1968. Um, I'm going to stop saying the year. It's 1968 through this entire case. <laughs> okay. So all of her acts of crime are the same year. Yes. Okay. A nursery was broken into. So I, what I'm what I'm imagining for this is it's kind of like a daycare like it has different rooms and they keep different kids of different ages Mm -hmm. there so a nursery was broken into and police were called and they found four notes Um, all of them were written in very juvenile handwriting so someone who was learning how to write or maybe had learned to write but hadn't necessarily learned like the cursive or anything to go with it okay or this person was trying to make it a little bit more juvenile so the notes said I murder so I may come back. We murder so watch out. We did Martin Brown. Fuck off. And it was spelt F-U-C-K-O-F. Fuck off. Yeah. So, or, you know, fuck of. Fuck off. I can't even say, I can't even say fuck off. Fuck off. Yes, you can't, but you can't say fuck of. Fuck of. Fuck of. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds more Irish. (laughs) So, police they're dropping balls all over the place and they just assume it's a prank a cruel cruel prank uh i mean now that i'm thinking about it the fact that it literally said like we killed martin brown after martin was killed i'd be like hmm, maybe this isn't a coincidence and also childlike handwriting there's something creepy about it all on its own but then for it to like for it to have the content of like we murder we're coming back like that's that's creepy as shit. yeah and they just chalk one up and it's like they're like fuck off and it's like i don't even know if these cops are talking to each other yeah because it's not like any other department got called so you know that there's a little girl who's choking people on the playground oh yeah shouldn't they like make these connections you're getting this mysterious death of fright because the you know the grim reaper is just stomping around (laughs) snatching souls (laughs) (laughs) he thought he had the hiccups and he was too aggressive (laughs) 
and then you got these notes like that's true it's unfortunate i didn't even think about that like they really should yeah maybe maybe morning briefings should be a part of their their schedules and maybe be like oh i'm sure they are now oh yeah yesterday we found these notes that told us to fuck off but they were written by like a six-year-old so yeah um, and then they started talking about murdering Martin Brown when we said that he died of the willies. So <laughs> I knew that died of fright was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so then on the same day that the nursery is broken into, Mary goes to school like it ain't no thing normal, you know, so it's like early in the morning they break into the nursery and then they head off to school. Cash. And she had this like journal and I just imagine I remember having one I don't know if it was in middle school necessarily but I do remember having a journal that we could like write in every day and then like we'd keep them in the class and like if we wanted the teacher to read something there was like a special like sticky note code thing where they would read and then they would only read this parts that we stickied so it was kind of like it was Mm -hmm. a diary but like also if we felt the teacher needed to read something or if we wanted her to know something that's where we could write it as well which I think should come back i think we should have those right. in like workplaces and everywhere like just so you can feel more comfortable like i just remember you know feeling more comfortable letting my teachers get to know me with stuff like that versus like talking but i'm awkward well and especially in like middle school yeah. like that type age you're going through so much that you need that kind of like safe space yeah and knowing that it's not going to be mandatory like it's not mandatory that it's read yeah I think helps kind of ease that pressure too. Yeah. So this is what I'm assuming was for her because the teacher never reads this and everyone's going to get real mad. And if you're listening to this on a phone, please set it down so you don't throw it. Make sure it is somewhere safe in a pocket that is zipped on the counter and take three steps away or (laughs) in your car. Just leave it wherever it is. Done. (laughs) Thank you. So (laughs) I done for everyone. Don't worry. (laughs) So by now that should be happening because Leslie said it was done. (laughs) So in this journal, she writes about a little boy being found. So she writes it from the outsider's perspective of watching the construction worker carry him out, out of the building. And then she draws a picture. It's got the construction worker. It's got Martin or what should be him. And then it's got this little scribble right next to Martin. And you know, A little scribble could be anything in a child's mind as they're drawing. But Miss Mary and her genius labeled the scribble as tablets, which is the British version of pills, Mm -hmm. which is what I said. So she drew the pill bottle that was next to Martin's body. Now, I do have to say, and I don't know if I said it before, the police never released that information because they just assumed, you know, as a high crime area empty pill bottle it, it could have been there before could have been anyone could have been anyone's mm-hmm. and you know and every every case even back then they were smart enough at least to leave certain things out of media so that if the person did it ever slipped up they would be caught right only the killer would know exactly yeah. so mary draws the crime scene in its entirety with the pills next to martin now you'd think this is where this case ends we got her she drew it with her own hands in her own book her teacher didn't read it. Psych. Psych. Perfect. I remember when you told me that last week, I like screamed. Yeah. When Because I, I forgot that the police didn't mention the pills. And when you were like, she drew the pills and you looked at me like you were waiting. And then, you know, on like 22 Jump Street when he when Schmidt has sex with the captain's daughter yeah. and Channing Tatum's like sitting there and it's like a microwave yeah. and it's like ding. And then I like hits him. And that then, was me. Oh, shit. 
oh shit (laughs) that was me last week and i was like oh my god like i totally forgot i mean that's some pretty incriminating shit yeah and then the only bummer is the teacher didn't check these regularly the 60s. <laughs> I mean, it's so, you know, I say, you know, this was such a nice thing to have as a kid, but I also wasn't admitting to murder. Right. So it is nice, but maybe check on them. Yeah. Like once a week. I mean, do it when they're not looking. Check everything. <laughs> make sure you leave it the way that they right. left it. Like, you know, really lie to them. <laughs> really lie to children. Yeah. Lie to the children. Break their trust. <laughs> read it you 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 know what type of mother i'll be someday i'm gonna go through their room you have to ask someone else to do it so then they don't like resent you for doing that stuff if it's their teacher then you know whatever but if it's their mom that is true well i don't know if i'll be close enough with all of their teachers so i might make you go through my kid's room (laughs) okay i'll I'll do it in a fun way yeah like oh what are you doing in here and go and talk to them like an aunt and then you know just like touch all their shiz (laughs) i'll be like i left a prize in here for you enjoy finding it and then i won't leave anything so then they'll just be searching for nothing so you'll go through my kid's room and just you know tell me what you find (laughs) i will don't worry so after martin's death another frustrating situation is mary and norma started to like become obsessed with martin's mom june and in the beginning june was like oh my god they're so you know they're so mature for their age they're so considerate they're asking me how i'm doing they're you know asking me if i miss martin like it's still childlike questions but like i mean that's impressive that's creepy it's creepy but it's impressive impressive how what do you mean so just impressive that they have the capacity to like to care in her brain you know oh that's what june was thinking yeah she's like i'm so yeah like i'm impressed they care about me they they realize that i've gone through this tragedy and they want to make sure i'm okay and then i'm sure you know she loses her son i'm sure any child giving her positive attention is gonna feel good for her I didn't. Yeah, I I bet you're right. Yeah. So she probably leaned on it a little bit more than she would have maybe like cared to, you know, when Martin was alive. She probably didn't connect as much with children because she had her own, but she lost her son. And there are these two Mm -hmm. little girls asking her how she is. But this all comes to a screeching halt because Mary and Norma don't know boundaries. And they go to Martin's house a couple of days before his funeral and they knock on the door june answers and they ask if they can see martin and june's like well well no you can't he's died like he's died so she's assuming like maybe they're not as mature as i thought they were and maybe they're Mm -hmm. confused and mary goes we know we want to see him in his coffin oh that's such a (laughs) such a gross thing to say right it's uncomfortable so June slams the door in their face because she's just so upset. Her husband had to call like the doctor for a house call and like had to chase them off the porch, like pretty much saying like never come back here again. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, it was it was a whole thing. And then Mary and Norma avoided June after that. That's good. That's so like thank goodness that June reacted that way and not just being like Yes. You know, they just don't understand their children, they need help like because they were torturing her. I mean, that's like what that's what killers do is they like return and they are a part of the search party. They they go to the funeral, you know, they do that stuff because it's like yeah, part of the fascination. So, like thank God that June reacted the way that she did. Yeah. and didn't feed that like psychotic fire that right Mary and Norma had. 
yeah it was it was very uncomfortable yeah it's uncomfortable to listen yeah and i can't imagine being in the situation like just being so confused and not understanding what's happening and now oh gosh you know at, at the end she'll see the whole picture right but she's not even putting two and two together she just thinks these girls are just being weird so newcastle's residents use martin's death as a reason to protest the slow construction and dangerous conditions. So they took this as like this little boy was playing in this rundown construction site and this rundown building, you know, stop dragging your feet. Like we need to get do something about it. These houses torn down, tear them down. Yeah. Don't if, if these houses weren't here, Martin would have been wouldn't have been playing on them and wouldn't have scared himself. So that's good that they it's yeah. So his death did bring a, a little good for the community. But the interesting part about this is front and center in most of the pictures is mary holding a picket sign well of course because that throws off the track that and i think she just liked attention yeah i think she had this like desire to be front and center like you said all murderers do it they help out with the search party they go to the funeral they keep things they keep news clippings all of this stuff so i think she actually showed some like serial killer tendencies early early on with just wanting to be involved with the community and wanting to be a part of martin's death again she probably wanted the attention too because assuming she never got any positive attention from her mom yeah. or the men in her life mm -hmm. and i guess i should say in her mom's life not mary's but yeah so there was probably that need too for like adults to be like wow, you're so mature, like, mm -hmm. you care so much about this, like, gross. Yeah. Just, like, fed into that narcissist shit, yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we jump ahead to July 31st, and we have Brian Howe, who is a three-year-old boy who, again, has curly blonde hair and is out playing unsupervised um, and went to go watch a demolition of a building with his friends in Rat Alley. Um, later in the day... A nine-year-old boy who was at the mental age of four, so he had some mental disabilities, saw Mary and Norma walk Brian away from the groups of friends that they had and go towards an empty field. Brian's parents noticed right away that Brian didn't come home when he should have. So it's this interesting contrast with this neighborhood, too. Like, we're going to let our three-year-old go play with his friends, and some of them are probably older. And we're going to let him go watch the demolition of a building. But like, if he's not back home by two o'clock, like something's wrong. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And also like three years old, again, like you said, thinking of the three-year-olds in my life, no way. <laughs> no way. No way are they alone. Yeah. Like, I think at most the three-year-olds in my life are playing outside while their mom and I are inside, but we can see them through a window. Right, there's never, like, they think they're unsupervised. But they're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And they're playing in the backyard. Like, it's not. Or in their bedroom or right, yeah. somewhere yeah. safe. But you're aware <laughs> of where they are, whether they're aware of you or not. Exactly. So police were called when Brian didn't come home when he was expected. And everyone began searching for him. So this is another good thing in this case. You know, a lot of what you hear now is like, and it's different, he's three. But like a lot of what you hear right now is like the missing person and the waiting and all of this stuff. Not necessarily something that happens to young children, but at least the cops are jumping on it as quickly as they would today. Right. That's good. Let's see. So police find Brian in the empty fields and they only find his body. 
So there is proof of foul play. Um, the following is going to be a huge trigger warning. Um, so just tread lightly or fast forward a couple of minutes if you would like to avoid it. Okay, I'm going to fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> you are stuck with live action. <laughs> Sorry, your needs are not helped or wanted. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I'm ready. <laughs> Brian was laying semi-spread eagle on the ground, and he was half naked. Some of his hair had been cut off, and it was lying next to his body. So it was just cut off with some, like, normal school scissors. His legs had puncture wounds on his calves, and the puncture room wounds were found to be done uh, post-mortem. And his genitals were mutilated. Broken scissors were found near Brian's body, and the coroner had found that Brian had been strangled, and the cut marks on his legs were an, att- an attempt to leave initials. Um, so someone was carving into his skin um, to leave their initials. And amazingly, the coroner believed that this, mur- like what this murderer had done, was childlike. See, that's crazy. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. that's some like divine intervention well and kudos to the coroner for putting together with one clue and his one clue was the initials being carved into the legs versus the police's clues which were notes and actual strangulations and all of this stuff the coroner had less motive than they did and he was able to determine that it was foul play by a child well when i think of like children being like mischievous you know like they they put their initials in their desk like they yeah they do that stuff like in the bathroom stall you know things like that's like a that's a very childlike thing to do yes yes and that's exactly what that is so what i think is the most pointed thing for mary is so this is where i believe what happened between betty and mary because it is a somewhat common sign for people who have been molested um, or taken advantage of in any sort of way when they're younger um, to kind of take that out on dolls is what I hear most common and like dolls and kind of their private areas yeah and so I think that just the horrible thing that happened to Brian is just a tiny little bit of showing that I think something unfortunately happened to Mary as well because we can have sympathy for the child who was supposed to be taken care of and she wasn't and she turned into what she is yes uh <laughs> i can have it a little more than leslie <laughs> yeah i'm a little bit more black and white um but you know i think that's a good thing to mention that this is like learned behavior yes an 11 year old doesn't just wake up and decide i'm going to hurt another person who is younger than me smaller than me can't fight back mm-hmm and and then to add that like sexual aspect to it yeah i mean those those are learned behaviors either by tv by um action mm-hmm. I, that's a terrible word to describe it but yes. you know mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so i think that's a good thing to bring up yeah so the police start to make announcements about looking for a child who might have caused these crimes and Everyone in the neighborhood pointed their fingers at Mary and Norma. Yeah. Her little sidekick. Because they were the bullies. 
And well, and they had already called the cops. I'm surprised that the cops didn't think to go to Mary first. In the documentary, it literally, literally said there was a press conference where they said we're looking for angry, abusive child, all this stuff. And they didn't even rub two and two brain cells together to go, oh, my God. This girl tried to strangle another girl literally. Oh, yeah. Months ago. Maybe we should start there. But yeah, I didn't even think about that. That just seems like a no brainer. Like, wow, this case just came in of a small child trying to strangle another one to death. And we're looking for an angry child. Maybe we should start there. Yeah. So, you know, the police just didn't put two and two together. So the neighborhood had to point fingers and say like, hello. Yeah, your your two people live two houses down. You can go pick one up and pick the other one up in the same trip if that's not too hard. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think because Brian and Martin were so close in age and they kind of, you know, had mysterious things happen and they were so close together in their deaths. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's kind of glazed over in the documentary, but they reopened Martin's case. Oh, that's good. One day... They called June and said, we think your son's been murdered. Um, we're going to reopen the case. That's like how she they broke it to her. I mean, not the best bedside manner, but at least they did something right. Yes, yes. They at least could put that part together. I mean, heaven forbid we put the strangling, the two murders, all of it together in one timely manner. But that's neither here nor there. Pauline's like, what am I to you? Like chopped liver like i just gave you serious i gave you something that's crazy and then it just it went by the wayside so the police end up finding the nine-year-old boy that was the witness to the crime and the nine-year-old boy told them that mary had told brian he had a sore throat and she needed to massage his throat once she had her hands around the brian's throat She began squeezing until her hands turned white and Brian couldn't breathe anymore. Um, Police do the best thing they can in this case, and they arrest Mary and Norma. Can you imagine an 11-year-old being arrested? Yeah, no. I mean... In cuffs in the back of the... Like, just the mental picture. I don't even know if cuffs would fit. I don't even... Like, cuffs only get so small. I don't even know if cuffs would fit on an 11-year-old, to be completely honest. That's that's true. Ugh, that's crazy. Right? And of course, these girls blamed each other. Of course. They denied any anything to do with it, and they said she did it. So during this case, the public had two trains of thought that they had to really work through, and the police had to work through, and the lawyers had to work through. Everyone had to work through these feelings because they were preteen girls. Yeah. So it's, did they not know what they were doing? Or was Mary an evil genius and she finally found her little lackey that would go along with her horrible plans? Because again, Mary's getting painted out to be this leader. Right. You know, Norma is a no questions kind of gal who just goes ahead and does whatever Mary asks her to do in in the public's mind. I think it's important to, I know we had this discussion last week, Amber, Mm -hmm. because it I was picturing Norma as someone who was developmentally delayed. I think, actually, did we talk about that, this this recording? Like, Mm-mm. Norma was not um, special needs. No. Um, she just was... Slower than her classmates. Not as advanced. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important, too, because 
I remember the first, when you were telling me about this, I'm picturing Norma really as just this girl who just found a friend and went along with it because mm-hmm. she didn't know any better. But from what you were telling me last week, that doesn't necessarily sound like the case. No. So she was a just, it, it's like someone who's not as, as up in the class as everybody else. Yeah. She's understanding it. She's getting it. It's just, a, you know, at a little slower pace. Or she's a couple grades behind, but it's not her mentality that's behind. It's just probably she didn't give a shit because she's living in the slums and she's probably not getting the best education education anyways. And she probably isn't being, you know, pushed at home to care. Right. So, yes, very good to bring up, Leslie, that, yeah, she is fully aware of what is happening, has morals and right and wrong, and those are not missing from her mentality. Um, So after Mary and Norma were arrested, Mary's teacher, Eric Foster, was really smart and he went through her school journal where he found that beautiful drawing with that little piece of evidence that was left out to the public. And he turned over the picture and the journal to the police. Well, here's the piece de de resistance. Is that? I don't know. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) We're not doing that one. (laughs) Here's the the nail in the coffin. How's that? Yes, that's a good one. So here's the nail in the coffin. It's proof. Right. It's proof that Mary was aware of this. Of the the tablets. Happening. Yes, of the the tablets uh, of Martin's crime scene so here is the proof that these two are matched we've got a witness saying that mary strangled brian right and we've got photographic proof well drawing drawn by but okay so drawing proof by the murderer of the crime scene that was never released to the public right with things that only the killer would know yeah exactly and what's terrifying is if mary had not labeled her picture she might have gotten away with Martin's murder. Right, because it could just be like anything. Mm-hmm. Like, who knows what, you know, those are. It was a scribble. I, I have the picture. I'll post it on social media. You guys Ooh, see. It's a scribble. I cited. It's a child scribble in a picture. So. I can't imagine the feeling of that teacher. You know, when I was still working professionally, I taught. Like, I can't imagine lo- looking at that and being like, oh, sh- yeah Yeah, like oh my god again Channing Tatum freaking out (laughs) yeah like just the moment would be I can't even imagine yeah so we're gonna fast forward to December 5th 1968 and that is when Mary and Nora's trial begins now they're making a lot of special exceptions for these girls because they are 11 and 13 instead of sitting at on the stand by themselves their counsel was able to sit next to them and that was a way for the counsel to make it more like a conversation instead of kind of like an examination and cross-examination Kind of like being on trial for murdering two people. <laughs> yes, no, okay. exactly. It was okay. not like being on trial. And what I found was interesting, and this is um, probably the only new thing that I found um, that I didn't tell you last time we tried to record this. So at one point, Mary was on the stand, and it gets brought up that a lawyer finds out that she might have hurt like some alley cat, some cat in the 
area that was kind of like a homeless cat that kind of wandered around and stayed. Mary bawled when this was an accusation against her. Really? Yes. She said she would never hurt an animal. Just little boys, huh? Just little boys and attempted little girls before she realized they're too big to, they're too strong. You know, for her to do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting because we talked about how a lot of mainstream, um, mainstream, uh, well-known murderers. Start with animals. Start, exactly. They start with animals. She skipped that. So it's like there's this little piece of compassion in her heart for animals, which everyone has. I can't watch movies with animals. I can't do uh, there. I, it'll be rare if I ever do a true crime case where an animal gets hurt because I usually can't stomach to listen most of the time afterwards so i i get loving animals and like i'm not a people person but i'm definitely an animal person i'm so surprised she skipped on what was looked at as like a a big step this is like hurting animals is a sign well and to sob saying i could never do that like just the idea Mm -hmm. that you were accused makes you sob how weird like i but you can hurt little people and and kill them yeah i wonder did she like i don't know that's what that's um that's something that a psychologist needs to look into and then let me know (laughs) because that's like you know part of me would think that she's like a bit of a sociopath yeah therefore not giving a about any living creature so i don't know but then but then also maybe she is on her way to being a sociopath and maybe uh, over time that personality would get a little bit more intense but she's also 11 yeah so maybe like that compassion for small cute adorable animals is still somewhat there and who knows maybe over time that would have turned off or maybe it did turn off Ugh. yeah yeah hopefully she didn't and that makes me sad for that little kitty cat that got hurt yeah and i mean she still you know she swore up and down that wasn't something that she did so there's another psycho running around great yes (laughs) (laughs) awesome (laughs) the jury so this is something the jury noticed too that was pointed out norma while she was being talked to was very emotional was very upset showed what the jury uh, interpreted as remorse what they wanted to see what they wanted to see exactly mary was very stoic and she was very smart the detective who did this case and also the lawyer who cross-examined her said she not only would answer the question they asked but she would carry on and answer the question that they were planning on asking up to two in a row so she's she's thinking she's got process she's thinking through okay they're asking me this question they'll most likely want to know this and this so it's like a who what when you know and she's able to articulate that before the investigator is even able to ask and she's very stone minus the conversation about the cat she is very stone-faced she is not showing you know the mainstream signs of remorse or emotion so it was very easy for the jury to do what they did next so the case was only presented in, in the jury for nine days and okay. presented to the jury for nine days. After that, it was a very quick, um, I couldn't find exactly how quick, but I, I believe it was a couple of hours. It was nothing. It didn't take days to deliberate. Right. I'd be like, oh, she did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <They're> guilty. <laughs> so the jury found Norma 
not guilty. Oh, sorry. Before you finish, I think it's important too that they, I thought it was so crazy. They did both Norma and Mary's cases together, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they were both being tried in those nine days. It wasn't for one girl. Which I think is so interesting. I wonder if that's like normal in England or if it was just for the girls. I think honestly, I haven't looked into English law, but I think the fact that these girls were so young rocked their sh- and they threw out a lot of regulations yeah. that they would for any other person. I know you had said that, that they changed some things to make the girls more comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. That's what they did. Okay. I just think that's so interesting. Sorry. I just wanted to throw that out. No, yeah. No, no, I forgot about that. So see, that's the only good thing about recording this twice is that you remind me of very important things. <laughs> but I love the mystery. So we will promise to keep that up. Yes. So yeah, so the case is going on for both girls. They're changing a lot of their rules and regulations to make them more comfortable. And Norma's found not guilty. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. She was able to go home that day. Not guilty. Bye-bye. I'm wondering if it was literally just because she behaved the way that they expected. I think so. I think that she was painted, even in this documentary, years and years later, where these children are now grown adults with their own children. They are calling her, like, slow. Dim-witted, yeah. And not the smart one. And all of this stuff. And then I think that that is why. She got to go home, you know, and that was it. That was it. No rehabilitation, no concern that she was involved in murders, nothing. And one that was pretty gruesome. Yes. Brian's murder was super graphic. Well, and so something I didn't say about Brian's murder, and I don't, this is again another one of those rumors through the neighborhood, but the initials they believe were originally N, as in Norma, B, and then the coroner believed that she, that after the N and the B had been carved. Mary added the final little leg to make the N and M. So I don't know if like the spacing was off. So like it looked like it was added as an afterthought. I don't know if there's some way that he could tell through the the skin and how it was cut and all of this stuff. If like there was more blood um, out of the older wounds and then the, the added M or line for the M wasn't right but if you take that into account if it was an n first and then it was an m norma's aware of i mean she's 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 mutilating brian's body she's aware of what she did and to be frank even if she didn't if she was just some sad poor bystander she still witnessed two three incredibly graphic situations yes she should at least take care of that well and that's just it too there should be some rehabilitation for her there should be some counseling and i mean who knows if there was or wasn't because norma just drops off the face of the earth we'll get into my searching into the into where they are now at the end but norma's gone (laughs) where are they today (laughs) yeah Yeah. where are they today norma got a not guilty and she was like deuces i'm dropping yeah she's off the grid interesting so then mary what happened to mary Mary was charged with 12 years for manslaughter of Martin and Brian and nothing for um, the little girl that she tried to choke. That was just information, unfortunately. But then the question comes, what do we do with an 11 year old girl? We can't send her to Gen Pop prison. That's not something that the government is willing to do to her. 
So she was sent to a juvenile detention center called Red Bank. She was the only girl with 20 boys and most of the, I guess, guards or like instructors were also men. So there was um, a lot of there was a lot of uh, story coming out that unfortunately Mary was attacked um, in the juvenile detention center and was um, raped, unfortunately. Um, that is something that is talked about in the documentary and in a couple of books that she um, unfortunately was a target and a victim um, to the counselors and to the other um, juveniles. It didn't get any easier hearing that the second round. Um, that's no. just her life just continues to be hard. Yeah, I get. I, I know. I'm st- I'm still mad at her. I know. I don't. But that's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. She's still a pe- like uh, the o- one and only time I will ever say that an 11 year old girl is a piece of shit. Other than when I was an 11 year old girl. I can't make that promise, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was an 11 year old girl, I felt 11 year old girls were pieces of. Shit. But as I've grown, this is the first one that I've passionately felt that way about in a while. <laughs> passionate. That's, that's a good addition to that. Passionately. Mm-hmm. So while in Red Bank, um, her goal was rehabilitation. Um, they really wanted her to be ready for adulthood and ready to go out into the world when the time came, when her 12 years were up. Um, Mary wrote her mother a letter while she was in the facility and pretty much blamed Betty for what happened. If Betty hadn't been such a bad mother and hadn't objected her to what she saw and what happened, she wouldn't have done it. So it's kind of said that Betty was very interested. I I guess I shouldn't say interested. I don't know. Betty was a sex worker who allowed um, sadomasochism to happen in her line of work. So Mary's pretty much saying, this is what I saw at home. This is what you um, subjected me to. This is what I thought was normal. It's your fault. And in the letter, she literally says, you need to go and tell them it's your fault. You did this to me. You're the reason that I committed these crimes and they'll let me go. You just have to go and say you're at fault. Well, of course, because that's easier making someone else take the blame Mm -hmm. than owning up to your own decisions yeah yes and i mean in my mind betty is very selfish and betty is very focused on her own survival as an addict and as someone who did not want to have a child yeah um and didn't step up to the plate and do the right thing because a child was in her life um so of course, Betty did not go to whoever she Mary thought she needed to go to to tell this. But it's interesting because in the documentary, Betty did an interview after Mary was in um, Redwood or Red Bank. Sorry, Red Bank. Yeah. So um, Betty did an interview when Mary was in Red Bank. And it's really weird. This interviewer is trying to ask her questions and like get her to pretty much admit that like she gave Mary a shitty childhood and like life a start to life so Mm -hmm. like of course mary is this way and like you can tell that betty is like 
it's either like the interview got set up and it was like the interview was told like I want to take the blame I want to do all of this and like speak out for my daughter but then in the moment Betty's there and she's she's kind of seems like she's strung out and she is just not admitting anything that the interviewer is asking her he's asking her like are you you know do you wish you could have given Mary a better life and she's like I don't know and then do you you know do you wish that you know are you shocked that Mary did this or did you think it was going to happen no I'm shocked so there was there violence in the home did this like were there were there signs that you missed I don't know like just very like the the interviewer had directed like specific questions where he was trying to make it seem like she was going to admit to being the piece of shit and reason that Mary was right what she was and Betty like wouldn't take the bait and just kept saying she didn't know and it's unfortunate and she's sad that her daughter did this hmm it was like a pointless interview and I was confused as to why it was even in the documentary because it just like it made it seem like Betty was going to go in and take the blame, but then she must have decided against it. Like chickened out. Yeah, with the interview and the, and the cameras and everything. And she kind of just stonewalled him and barely answered his questions. You're probably right. They probably went into this initially being like, this is what I want to do. Here's my plan. You know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But then <clears throat> when it comes down to it, it's just easier just like for Mary, it's easier to not take blame, to not own up yeah. to your actions. Yeah, like they learned You know, it. it's the same yeah. thing. Like The apple doesn't fall far. Like mother, like daughter. Exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> jinx. <laughs> A delayed jinx because we're online. <laughs> oh, I said, well, it sounded right for me, but yeah. And I mean, and who knows? Maybe Mary set up the interview. Maybe she was the one kind of strong arming him. And Betty was saying like, sure, Ooh. yeah, I'll do it. And then once Betty got in front of the camera, she was like, fuck this. Mary isn't here to like badger me about fuck it. You. Yeah. Because yeah. Betty went and visited Mary a lot while she was in the juvenile center. Which is so weird. It's almost like she finally got someone to take care of her kid. And then she was like, well, I'll yeah. come visit. Like, I don't have to take you with me. I don't have to deal with you. Like, I'll come see you. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just an interesting dynamic for sure. Um, So also while in the juvenile detention center, uh, Mary had to sit and have meetings with psychologists and they had to evaluate her. And one of the psychologists was interviewed and said that she never admitted to fault. She never took, she never admitted, she never showed remorse. Like she never, it was always someone else's fault. It was never her fault. She was mad that Norma got off when Norma was there. She was mad at her mother. She was mad at her mother's boyfriend, Billy. She was mad at everybody and never took, never admitted and never took acknowledgement of what she did was wrong. Right. Well, again, it's easier to do that. It's easier to not be like, oh, yeah, I murdered two little boys and mm-hmm. hurt someone else. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not surprised, but. Well, and this is where I think the system failed, because if a psychologist is literally trying to like people get released because of remorse and because they want to do better. So if you can't yeah. even admit that what that you were a part of it and you were the reason that these people lost their lives. These boys, these little children lost their lives, then I don't think you should be released. You can't even pretend to admit it either. No. Like, you can't even just be like, yeah, I feel terrible. You yeah. know, whatever, <laughs> like, wink, wink, whatever it is. Yeah. 
that's what you shouldn't do. But yeah, no, like like you said, she should have for you and me. She should have never been released if she can't even admit it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mary was released when she was 23 in 1980. The law granted Mary an identity change and has protected her from the public and the media. In 1984, she had a daughter that was also protected by the same law. And in 2009, the same law was protecting her granddaughter's identity. They did this because the public found out who she was shortly after she had her daughter when her daughter was about, well, I shouldn't say shortly after. When her daughter was 14, the media personnel found her and they were harassing her which i mean she's a murderer so i don't know if i believe it's harassment um so you probably shouldn't do the daughter but definitely mary yeah so mary's granted this identity protection and so was multiple generations of her family and this is the first time that this had ever happened in um, british law where generations were protected interesting uh norma like i said fell off the face of the earth I looked all over for Norma Bell, and all I could find was a story of a 79-year-old woman who had been murdered by an ex-foster child of hers. In her lifetime, she had fostered 50 children. Now, here I am thinking, oh my God, this is Norma Bell. She tries to like do something good, and she gets murdered. Well, I find this like teeny tiny YouTube video with like 17 views (laughs) and it's this small news location and there's a comment because there are four comments like this is tiny and there's a comment that says like this lady i don't care like she she murdered two little boys when she was little and then i see this person comment back and they say like and they're they're citing their information and they go that's very wrong Norma Bell is her married name. She had a different name when she, before she was married, clearly her maiden name. And her family probably doesn't appreciate like this comment that's left. And no one deleted it like when they were wrong. Yeah. So I was able to read all of it. So that is not Norma Bell in this story. But her story sent me down a rabbit hole. I probably looked into that for like 20 minutes because I was just in shock. It sounds terrible. Well, her ex foster child broke into her house to steal because he was addicted to drugs. And this happened 45 minutes from where Mary and Norma were. I was like, oh my God, I'm such a good detective. I'm finding this. <laughs> and then. Like you're like the meme of that cat that's like yeah, on the and computer. Like, yeah. And then that weird, that meme, I don't watch it. Um, I think it's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he's pointing at the charts. Oh, he's crazy. the conspiracy yeah. guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I can picture it. Thank you. Um, so. I don't, so I'm like, oh my God, I'm putting two and two together. She got her karma. No, um, this woman was very nice. And unfortunately her ex foster child broke into her house to steal things for drugs and then lit her on fire while she was sleeping. Um, so graphic. It is. And it sent me on a 20 minute deep dive and I was like, this isn't even about the case, but I had to bring it up because I spent 20 minutes reading about this woman. I even found her obituary and most of her foster kids wrote in her in on her obituary online and said how great she was. It was horrible. Oh, that's yeah. terribly sad. Belle must be a common name it's in that area. Be. It's gotta be 45 minutes away. Like, And we know of two that aren't related, but lived in the same town. Yeah, it must just be a common surname. It must. So I don't know what happened to Norma Bell. She got a not guilty and they sent her on her way. Wendy, go find her. 
Yeah, Wendy, I you're, trust our, you. you're our hunter, so <laughs> we'll let you deep dive on this and you can tell us later. Um, but yeah, so I guess my main question that we kind of discussed last time is, do you believe that kids are born bad or is it more of a learned? Is it a nature versus nurture? What do you think? Okay. Um, I mean, it's so easy. The empath in me is it's so easy to sit here and say, Mary had this terrible childhood, which she did. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, it's not gonna, it's not worth it to sugarcoat it. She, who knows the horrors that she saw at that house by her mother or by the men that her mother hung with, you know, Mm um, I just, I have such a hard time because there are two little boys that never got to live their life like literal, I mean, babies, be three and four years old. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I just have a hard time. I don't know. I'm, I'm sad of all the, for all the things that happened to her. So she was just completely wronged at Red Bank. And, you know, that should have never happened one by the other juveniles that were in custody there, mm-hmm. but especially not by her counselors. That just makes me yeah. sick to my stomach. But, yeah. um, but at the end of the day, she still murdered someone mm-hmm. and two people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think back on the girl who was attacked. What a terrible thing to live through and to have visions <clears throat> of somebody holding you down and someone else squeezing your throat, shoveling sand in your mouth. Like, it's just really graphic. So I, I just answered your question in a really long way. And to sum it up, like, I don't feel bad for her. I think... She's nine years old. Her mom probably was a terrible mother. I mean, there's no, I'm not doubting that, but I don't think her mom, and if even if she did have sadist interests in her sex life, the biggest difference is that I'm assuming it was consensual mm-hmm. and both parties enjoyed said acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that she just won't take responsibility to even just say, yeah, I, you know, I did this, but maybe it was because my mom did this or whatever, you know, it's just straight. My mom did this. It's my mom's fault. You know, I agree with that. I think that taking responsibility would have been the first step to showing that she was changing or to even show that she was sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that she even did it. Yeah. See, and I have a hard time. I heard this, um, on, uh, is it, I think it's called Generation Y is a podcast. Um, So I just started uh, recently listening to them and they brought up a good uh, point that really, I think everyone is neutral. I think that we're all kind of, you know, we're babies, we're these like, you know, potatoes that don't really think or feel a lot in the beginning and like it's all learned, right? And I mean, and there's, there's psychology behind it that shows it. I mean, they did horrible, horrible tests on twins where one was given like love and attention and the other one was ignored back in like the forties when that was allowed. um, Normal. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of these tests are done and it's, it's shown time and time again, that love and compassion and nurturing and having two stable, you know, parent figures in your life really help you propel to be a good person and to be a good member of society so I think 
Mary Bell was born neutral and quickly was changed to a bad person because of how negative her surroundings were now that doesn't mean she gets to write off what she did and get to blame everything because there are people who live in slums and yeah you know find a way out aren't people don't murder people like you know it's kind of like this idea of like uh we talked about it last time about how you can it's almost like there could be someone out there with my identical brain makeup and my identical like neutralness from birth and then because their life went differently than mine it's almost like an evil twin situation where they're doing bad things and i'm i would like to believe i'm not doing bad things (laughs) Um, i don't think you're doing that bad of things (laughs) i i don't think so either but i think that it's kind of like we're running on two parallel paths and just based on surroundings and everything that can be kind of what changes you but also i think there's something in your head that is almost weaker to allowing yourself to stoop down to be a horrible person and i think that every day i have pain in the tookus patients who are rude to me about stupid stuff and I would love to just tell them off and tell them they suck and all of this stuff but I don't because well I need the job and I would prefer my patients enjoy to be around me so you know it's kind of like I choose to swallow those upset angry angry feelings Mm -hmm. I choose to swallow them let it go But there's someone out there who might not swallow it and might just spew hatred. I mean, we know there are. There are tons of people out in the world like that who spew hatred. And it's it's almost like that that decision. You know, I decide to swallow it. Someone decides not to. And I think that's the difference. I think, you know, people get mad. People get upset. Anyone is capable of murder. Anyone is capable of doing anything, but it's that moment in your brain where you choose to do it or not. Right. And I surround myself with people who choose to not. Yeah. (laughs) As far as we know. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to be murdered. I don't want to be around when someone gets murdered. So I try to surround myself with people who swallow the frustration and just kind of continue. Well, hopefully avoid said behavior. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. This one is a gray area for me because, yeah, if Mary had been given a different life, maybe she would have never done this. Or maybe if she would have been given the perfect life, that bad part in her head still would have won. So I think that's why I chose this is because I'm a very black and white person. And I believe that if you kill someone and take them off the planet, then you should rot in prison and you shouldn't have the opportunity to rehabilitate, even though that is what prison should be for i think there are certain people who can't be rehabilitated and need to live there forever but this is a gray area because she was a child when it happened and i mean as of right now there are no there's no she hasn't committed a crime and gotten caught for it again that we know of that we know of you know too i mean just to play devil's advocate d'angelo the golden state killer Mm -hmm. from what i know had a fairly normal childhood wasn't drugged you know wasn't didn't have any of that stuff but what set him off was his fiance telling him to leave me the fuck alone and then he went berserk and went on this rampage how horrible is that too for the fiance to know that's his breaking point yeah what um there's a podcast uh i believe it's called the man next door the no the Mm -hmm. man at the window it's called the man at the window 
and it's terrifying they interview i just checked my window <laughs> he's not there <laughs> he's in jail <laughs> but um okay <laughs> <clears throat> well prison but they interview his ex-fiance and she says like from the moment when she knew that like something just like snapped in him and he went nuts so like i said just to play devil's advocate i don't think he yeah. had a terrible life but he is a terrible human yeah so well and that and that's oh so that's a good thing too the snapping moment so yeah. you know i have not had my snapping moment i hope to never have a snapping moment <laughs> where i choose to murder people and i i think that my morals keep me grounded enough to know i can wholeheartedly say a thousand percent i will not become a murderer in my lifetime <laughs> It's a good promise. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, you spend most of the time, most of my time spent outside of working with my husband or with you. So good for you. <laughs> I feel feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, I think I agree. Most of the time it's like in that snapping moment, you can either show that you're a good person and find a way to work through it. Or you can be a shit person and fall into these feelings that were probably there the whole time. Right. They were just buried. I think he was always a person. He, like mm-hmm. you said, he just like had finally had enough and he was sick yeah. of not doing something about it. Yeah. Which if we can make a PSA for our podcast, just swallow the anger. In five minutes, you will not be mad about it anymore. Like, Or maybe try like really hard. Go to counseling. Get a journal. Uh, okay, even better. <laughs> even better. Don't draw crime scenes in your journal. And if you do, show them to someone right away instead of after you're arrested. Um, but yes, <laughs> um, go to counseling, write a journal, swallow the anger. Because, I mean, honestly, most stuff you're not going to be mad about in 20 minutes. So if you can get over it in 20 minutes, it's not worth your time. Unless you're D'Angelo and then you're going to be saying your ex fiance's <laughs> name as you murder people throughout your life. Oh my God, that poor woman. She's probably scarred for life. I would never date again. Well, yeah. I mean, we could go on about cat lady. You should listen to that podcast. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's and the man in the window when they say why they named it that. It is crazy. Amber looks again. (laughs) (laughs) I it well because it's really dark out and we don't have our front lights on and like I can only see the reflection back of all my stuff in the room. Oh, so they can see you, but you can't see them. That's scary. Yeah, and I've got like my curtains open, and yeah, and see now you're scaring me because you're saying. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have nightmares. <laughs> don't have nightmares. <laughs> but yeah, so that was the case. Well, good job. Thank you. That was really good, and I'm sure that was hard to research. Yes. Yeah, you know the saying it a second time. <laughs> yeah right it's not every day you learn about a nine-year-old sociopath yes it's unfortunate <laughs> but we've got a clue for next week and i have heard the clue but i'm gonna be honest i kind of forgot and i could not figure it out so let's go that's okay all right friends the clue for next episode is money money sin and misery misery say it one more time Money, money, sin, and misery, misery. I did remember it as you were saying it and still no no clue. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that was our episode. We've got our clue. Leslie, you're leaving us a good uh, 
little bit of a trail to try to dive down. I'm really excited to see what Wendy does with this. Cause let's be honest, I wait for what she posts and then I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I'll be, if anybody gets this, you're my type of people. That's all I'll say. See, and then I'm going to, I feel bad because I want to be your type of people. I feel like I'm your type of oh. people. <laughs> but I, I don't sh- I should, I should specify. You're in a certain group of my type of people oh. that not many are. Oh. How's that? Oh, see, but now I have FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> you have what? FOMO, fear of missing out because I'm not in that group and I'm your best friend. <laughs> well, you'll be in that group next week. Don't oh, okay. worry. You'll, you'll, you'll usher me in with open arms. Okay. Well, friends, <laughs> we've recorded this twice. Our internet well, yeah. only cut out once. Once. And yeah, I keep not bad. looking at the window because I'm terrified that someone's looking in here. Oh, no. <laughs> well, let's, get, let's, let's close this up. Let's get out of here so you so can let's... get out of the window. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan's sitting in the window. <laughs> um, yes, let's roll. So we will thank you guys for being so understanding for us delaying this episode so we could re-record and make it sound better. We appreciate yes, thank that you. and the understanding. Um, and we will see you next week with our next episode. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. The Grim Mystics was written and produced by Amber Scribbick and Leslie Gregg. The Grim Mystics episodes are edited by Leslie Gregg. The Grim Mystics theme song was written and produced by Bear and Abby Golden. You can find us on Instagram at The Grim Mystics. You can also follow The Grim Mystics on Facebook at The Grim Mystics. 